Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PersusGrowRoom.com. In this interview, we speak to Matt Hughes, who is a father from the UK, and his son Charlie has epilepsy. Matt is the co-founder of MedCan Support, which is a non-profit company that provides information and educational resources to people who are looking to use cannabis as a medicine. That's with chronic pain, epilepsy, or many of the other conditions that he covers. So he isn't just fighting that battle for his son, Charlie, trying to get his son the medicine that he needs, but he's also out there trying to help other people get the medicine they need as well. He's a really cool guy. This is a really cool interview and it's crazy the stuff that this guy has to go through to get medicine for his son. And pretty soon that medicine might not even be available to him, and not only because of the ridiculous cost that he has to pay to get the medicine, but because of the crazy laws we have here in the UK that's going to restrict him from getting it to. So it's a really good interview. I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, we'll just get straight into it. I'll leave you to it. Here is the interview with Matt. I hope you enjoy it. Roll a fat one for this one because it's hard to listen to in places. I hope you enjoy it. I'll catch you in a bit. But yeah, thank you very much for coming to join us, man. Uh, I am Mackie. I am from the UK. And we also have Monkey. Monkey, you want to say hi? Hey, Matt. Monkey here. I'm Southeast US. How's it going, man? Yeah, nice to meet you, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, busy. Very busy at the moment. And yeah, you're Matt Hughes from uh, MedCan. Yep, that's right. Yep. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so basically I'm, yeah, I'm Matt Hughes from MedCan Support. Um, and I set MedCan up in collaboration with uh, Hannah Deacon, so we co-founded it. And it basically came about, so MedCan Support is a uh, platform it's basically a hub for education, for resources and support for families. Um, so my background, my son was born in 2017 um, and at 10 weeks old, he was diagnosed with a form of epilepsy called infantile spasms. Um, and at that age, the brain isn't fully developed. And he started having um, kind of jerking reactions, but it's usually after sleep or food. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of appeared like colic. Um, so my mum's a nurse and she noticed these kind of strange movements and we kind of thought, oh yeah, it's probably some form of colic or something like that. Uh, we weren't concerned about it at all. Um, but there's one weekend that I was around my parents and my mum and dad saw Charlie making these these movements and they're like, mm, that just looks a little bit suspicious to us. I think you should pop to the GP and have that checked out. Hmm. So the following morning, I... Um, filmed him and he was getting really really upset and his arms were um so he's basically folding it's almost like someone had punched him in his stomach and he was folding in two and his arms were like really tight and coming round and it's yeah it's just really like stiff and looks as if he is in pain we're getting really really upset and they'd come like it'd be every, it'd only last a couple of seconds and then he'd relax and then it'd come again so it's in a a sequence um like a cluster of these these weird movements so i filmed it took him to the gp and uh long story short later the following day he was diagnosed with epilepsy and you know the, the syndrome was infantile spasms and yeah. as his parents you know i've 
I've never really come across epilepsy throughout my life. And me and my wife just thought, yeah, it just needs a couple of tablets and that'll be it. That's fine. There's nothing to worry about. Um, then his well, he had an EEG and an MRI. And then we started to understand a bit more about infantile spasms and what it actually meant. And we then realized how serious it was and actually how detrimental it's going to be for his future and, and our future as well. And that's when it really hit home. It was like, okay, this is a really serious condition and it's going to, you know, we've basically going to have a disabled child. Um, mm. And yeah, so long story short, he initially he responded to anti-epileptics, which was really good news. And, you know, the diagnosis can be quite positive if you can get the seizures under control very early. Now, obviously, because it's a developing brain, you create pathways. And the, as seizures continue, then pathways for seizures get stronger. Um, but initially, he he responded to primary treatment, uh, which is available on our NHS. But then in 2018, um, in January 2018, he relapsed um, as we weaned off because he's on very, very high doses of steroids. In fact, his adult dosage of steroids. Wow. And he's what, two years old here. He's, uh, well, at that time, he was... One uh, and a half, two. No, he's born in July. This was December. So, All right. What, six months old? Wow, and, damn. Um, so really and, young and on adult dose as well. That's crazy. Yeah, adult dose of, uh, it's called Bredisolone, which is a steroid, alongside another anti-epileptic. And, you know, he had the side effects of that as well. So he had loads of fluid. He, was, he looked like a balloon. He was just, his face was swollen. His whole body was kind of swollen as well. It's all fluid um, side effect of the steroids. And it also impacts the liver because obviously he's, he's so young, your body can only take so much. Um, so we couldn't, it wasn't a long-term treatment. Um, so as we, we weaned off, basically the seizures returned. And yeah, long story short, we went for the next uh, year or so with him having 120 plus seizures per day. Whoa. Um, and he was on, well, he, he's, he was on four antileptics at the same time. Um, and, you know, they'd be taken throughout the day. But I, I remember vividly this, we went to walking therapy. Um, and because of these seizures, Charlie was diagnosed with a uh, global development delay as well. So every area of his development, he was significantly, you know, seriously behind. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we went to walking therapy and they put him in this sling and it was a walking frame. And he just, he just didn't respond. He just slumped in this sling, not interesting one, but he just looked so miserable. I, I just looked at him and I just thought, what are we doing to him? I just thought, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just so heartbreaking. And then we get, you know, we just turned around and said, look, guys, this is pointless. I said, this is a complete waste of time. He's not, we're not, he's not learning anything. He can't learn. I said, he's just so out of it on all these drugs and, you know, still continuing to have 100 plus seizures per day. I said, he's exhausted. He's, you know, when he's not sleeping, he's seizing. Um, and yeah, we just, yeah, we just at a loss, really. We just, yeah, yeah, it must have been terrible, man. Phoned up his consultant and they basically said, look, guys, there's nothing more we can do for him. You know, we've tried all the all the treatments and he's just not responding. Um, and at that point, we had tried um, the ketogenic diet, which can be quite helpful. But for Charlie, it didn't work. And then we also went down the brain surgery route. Um, but because of his uh, kind of where it was within the brain, etc., it was deemed that brain surgery wasn't an option. Right. So, um, yeah, so... 
And just, that's the uh, surgery where they essentially cut the brain in two pieces, right? They yeah, there's, there's, the there's various spheres. different sur surgeries, but yeah, the one that they were looking at was to cut the brain in, in two. So basically there's a nerve that between the two hemispheres and they sever that nerve. Um, and yeah, it's... But as his parents... To be honest, you just go numb. I can't really explain the the emotion behind it. Like you can't really process the thought. Yeah, can't yeah. Process, you, can't, you, you can't process your thought right now. This is mm. crazy. Even hearing this. Yeah, it's. I don't. Know, you just don't. You know, we we expected a, a, a normal child. It was a. Um, you know, it was a relatively normal birth. It wasn't straightforward, but mm -hmm. there was nothing untowards, and you know, we haven't got epilepsy in the family, and he just. Yeah, didn't expect this at all. So you just mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and he's our first child as well. So it's completely new having a, a child, all of a sudden having a child with these really seriously complex needs and, mm -hmm. um, you know, his medication and all the rest of it. It's just, it throws us in the complete deep end and you're trying to just get on with life and, but throwing this complete curveball. Um, so yeah, we just ended up on this roller coaster of just numbness and, I can't. I can't, still can't explain it. It's just it's almost like shock, but constantly you're almost living off adrenaline. Um, but you know that you have to just keep doing it for your son, um, and do everything you can within your power uh, mm -hmm. to make it better. Yeah. But I think back then we were in the hands of his clinicians, and you know we didn't really understand epilepsy. We didn't know anything about the medications he has been prescribed. We just had pure faith that you know that the NHS would be able to help him. Um, at that point, though, when they turned around and said, there's nothing more we can do for him, I then started researching and looking for alternative options in Australia, America, Canada, anywhere in the world where, you know, there might be a treatment out there um, that could help him. And as I was researching, it kept popping up with cannabis as a potential for seizure control. Um, and, you know, I dismissed it, to be honest, straight away well, yeah well as the nhs has told you there's nothing else we can do you know surely yeah. they've looked at something oh even from my own experience i used to smoke cannabis all the time as a mm -hmm. growing up um like resins and stuff and, mm -hmm. the old yeah. soap bar days yeah soap bars exactly it yeah i'm saying <laughs> back in the <laughs> 90s um but that's what we saw cannabis as it was a recreational drug mm -hmm. um i was like you know i had good experiences you know, I knew yeah. of and I thought well, there's no way this is going to treat such a serious condition. I, I mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I dismissed it, but then, um, I started doing some more research, and uh, again, it just kept cropping up. And then I started seeing clinical studies on it, so I was like, okay, maybe there is something in this. And then at the time, there's another mum, um, that lived in the area who was also um, campaigning for cannabis at the time, and that's Hannah. Uh, no, that was uh, uh parent called Tanine who's friends with Hannah okay and then I saw Hannah on the news um and saw her campaign for her son Alfie so I reached out to her on Facebook um and yeah we got chatting and you know various different options and I was like okay this is a gen you know this could actually be a thing um and then she introduced me to Professor Mike Barnes and you know we got talking with him awesome um, he's a good guy yeah like like Mike Barnes yeah, and then um, yeah. So again, this was back in the end of or oh, the middle of twenty eighteen. So the law hadn't changed at this point. Um, 
and then the law did change uh we started using charlotte's web um which didn't have uh, any effect he seemed to be a bit, a bit more alert but there was no impact on his seizures um right. at all. uh and then yeah the law changed and um in 2019 hannah gave me a, a ring um and said do you want to join end our pain um and campaign for nhs access because once the law had changed we all presumed that we'd all have access to what alfie was prescribed and mm-hmm. doing really well on that wasn't the case. No. Um, the guidance come out, and so it was clear that none of us were going to gain access to it. Wow, man. That must have made you angry at that point. Uh, well, we didn't know it was going to work, to be fair. Um, right, right. But yeah. it was an option, and mm-hmm. all options were out. So we were going to fight tooth and nail for just to have another option. It may not have worked, but at that point, there was nothing else available anyway. Mm-hmm. And still suffering hundreds of seizures per day and had no quality of life. So we've you know, we're not going to give up on him. We're going to fight for something that may help him. Um, and, you know, we were seeing other children that were benefiting from it and stories. And, you know, that's when I really started doing lots of research. And, um, yeah, I was kind of, okay, this is a very viable option. Um, it's the only option. There's nothing else out there that, you know, there's no new drugs being developed. And, absolutely. You know, in the UK, research in epilepsy is minimal. Um, I think it works out at £21 per head. So 600,000 people in the UK with epilepsy, a third of which will be uncontrollable. Wow. Um, uh, so there's around 100 children each year with Charlie's syndrome. Um, where it's, so it is rare. Um, but yeah, the funding just isn't there on the research. So there are no new drugs, pharmaceutical drugs coming out. Um, there's still a huge gap in understanding of epilepsy. There's various different syndromes and various different underlying causes, predominantly genetics. Um, so yeah, it's that was really the only option out there and we we're going to fight to at least give it a go and give mm-hmm. it a go and see, see if it help him. So in May 2019, uh, we uh, spoke with a neurologist in London who started prescribing cannabis um so charlie was the first lad in the uk with infantile spasms to be prescribed cannabis and um initially you know we we saw a change in alertness and he seemed more awake and aware and the side effects of these anti-epileptics seemed to reduce um less tired and you know which was nice to see but there wasn't any significant impact on his seizures control Mm. then it got to about three months in of using it t- slowly titrating up on the dose right um and is this point, just cbd no so this was bedrolite so it included is a, a whole plant extract um so it's from holland it's the same medication that Ch- um, alfie had on mm-hmm. the nhs mm-hmm. and yeah we you know we were slowly titrating up it was us doing it, it as us our research it wasn't a clinician necessarily but, advising we're kind of advising her what we wanted to do if that makes sense because this yeah, is all, yeah. all new to everyone mm-hmm. and then there's one particular weekend um really sunny uh day and we we went out i think it was a sunday and we went out for a walk and it got to you know mid-afternoon and then kind of turned around to my wife ali and we kind of looked at each other and just went he's not had a seizure today wow and then we're like okay and then that whole day went and he didn't have a single seizure and we're you know that's the first time since that first initial period where he'd gone seizure free wow after hundreds uh, of seizures every day yeah 
Um, and that's all we'd changed. We hadn't changed anything on these anti-epileptics because we, you know, if you change multiple things, you don't know what's working. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. made a strict rule that we're not going to change anything other than the cannabis and we'll introduce that and then we can go from there. Now, it didn't last. He did um, have seizures the following day, but significantly less. Um, is worked out around an 85% reduction. Ooh. And the duration and the intensity of them had reduced as well. So all of a sudden, we started seeing Charlie for the first time, his personality shining through. So after, I think at this point, he was nearly two years old. And we were, you know, seeing Charlie. This, this was our son. We were actually, you know, he, he still had serious problems with disabilities, etc. But his personality was starting to shine through. He's gigging a lot more and interacting and interacting with the world. And, you know, he started laughing at dogs. Um, so if dogs would walk past, it you start giggling at them and stuff like that. So he was doing all these new little things that he had never done before. Um, and then that quality of life was starting to come back and, um, yeah, we could really see a change in him. And then um, we took him for his consultant appointment and his clinician was like, we had an hour's appointment with him and Charlie had no seizures at all. And even he said, well, this is the first time I've sat with Charlie and not seen him seize because um, he's having so many throughout the day mm. and he was really pleased and he said well what's what's changed i said we've got a prior prescription for cannabis and he wow. kind of he just smiled and just went okay and he's from indian background so i think he's got colleagues in india that do prescribe cannabis right and yeah he is just this is yeah he's just really really pleased to see charlie so well um so he said okay right let's get an eeg done um he said, but the EEG would need to display, if we're going to prescribe this, it needs to display a significant reduction in in, in epileptic activity within the brain. Um, in October, so that was in, uh, I think it was around June, he had the EEG, June, July. October, um, things were a bit slow in the NHS, we got the results of that. And it did say, and the, this is a separate consultant who had never met Charlie, but he'd done comparisons to previous EEGs. And in the clinical notes, it says significant reduction in epileptic activity. So it's still, still there, but it was significantly reduced, which displayed in the you know, number of seizures that had been reduced as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we just basically had a cons- another consultant, um, his neurologist involved as well. And we said, look, can, can you prescribe this then? I said, we're paying for it. It's obviously working. We've got EEG now to show that it's working. Can you prescribe it? And their response was, we'd prescribe it if we could. And I was wow. like, well, why can't you then? And they didn't, it was basically powers that be with this mm. hands. We can't prescribe this on the NHS. So I then ended up writing to um writing to the trust, the so our local hospital. Uh, and uh, no, sorry, it's Adam Brooks Hospital, his tertiary um, neurologist. So basically, there's a senior neurologist who's based in Cambridge at Adam Brooks Hospital, and she oversees Charlie's care and his medication, etc. So I wrote to their trust and said, Well, you know, his clinicians want to prescribe, why can't you? And they responded saying, Well, it's nice. Uh, the National Institute of Healthcare and Excellence, who oversee all medicines here in the UK, will give their um, so basically they commission medicines for the NHS. So any medicine, um, or the vast majority of medicines, they 
give their kind of consent to, for the NHS to fund that uh, and commission it and make it available. And they, and they base that on randomised controlled trial data or other forms of data as well, but predominantly RCTs and the cost effectiveness of that product as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've never given a recommendation for any cannabis-based medicine except Epidiolex, which is a CBD isolate. Um, and Sativex as well, which is for MS. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we're like, okay, right. So NICE is preventing now Sun from accessing NHS access. Um, right, we need to be doing something about this. So for a friend of ours who's in the legal world, uh, we sought some legal advice and kind of put a feelers out there to say, you know, there's a player that wants to be prescribed cannabis, can't access it. And we... Um, got given the details of a, a QC based in London. Um, his name's Edward Henry. So I contacted him. Um, we arranged a meeting. Uh, he's very, very interested in our case. And then um, he then said, well, do you know Hannah Deacon? I was like, well, yeah, of course I know Hannah Deacon. I was, <laughs> we worked, you know, we've been campaigning together for a year now. Um, and yeah, so we then all ended up having a call basically. And long story short, we um, started a legal challenge against the National Institute of Healthcare and Excellence. Um, And to basically say, you know, your letter has said that you you cannot prescribe. Um, And about 18 months later, um, so- 18 months, Dad. Yeah, it was a long, long old haul. Um, But again, during that, because we had, uh, it's quite a big legal team. We had uh, some barristers or a group of barristers involved, um, QCs involved, and we wanted to do it in a way to help everyone. It wasn't just about Charlie. We're trying to do it so mm. it open up access for for the population of you know all the families that we were working with and supporting. And um, so we, you know, there's lots of to and froing, and there's letters back and forth, and. Um, yeah, so it does take time. And also uh, the main funder at the time um, who was putting up, you know, money to cover the legal costs um, or part of the legal costs, they then pulled out. Um, so it got to a point where actually we couldn't continue the legal challenge. Uh, fortunately, we managed to get legal aid and um, they saw promise in what we were trying to achieve. So we did get legal aid and then we could then continue. Um but at the same time, we wanted to explore other avenues. So we looked at the way that Hannah or Alfie has prescribed his cannabis and tried to do the same for Charlie, um, which is through a GP and a shared care um, with a neurologist. Uh, but to do that for the funding side of it, you have to go through what's called a clinical commissioning group, which um, there's over 200 in the UK and it's, it's regional. So every area will have their own CCG. And... Um, they basically refused the funding or they wouldn't even start the um, application. So they wrote straight to NHS England. And so it got very, very complex very quickly. Um, But yeah, long story short, we managed to get nice to that. They settled outside of court. So rather than actually facing, uh, you know, a court challenge, they settled outside and they changed the guidance and added some clarification to say that, in individual circumstances, if a child is showing to be benefiting from these unlicensed cannabis medicines, it can be prescribed. Um, as, you know, as long as the clinician weighs up the benefit versus the risk, there's no reason that cannot be prescribed. Um, so we thought, well, that's a major step forward. Um, 
And yeah, so we went back to the, you know, his NHS clinicians and they still refused. But this time they cited the BPNA guidance, which is the British Pediatric Neurology Association. And um, albeit Charlie met the criteria, they just said, look, we, we, we're not willing to do it. So everyone kind of backed out of, albeit uh, they said. Who are they? I mean, are they like ranked higher? Than the no. guys who said that you can, who, who do they think they are to think that they can deny medicine to a child? Well, the British Pediatric Neurology Association is just that. It's a, it's a charity. Um, they have no, it's not a government institute. Um, it's just a membership of all the pediatric neurology or neurologists in the UK. But yeah, it's um, their fear is THC in the developing brain um so they uh, again this is getting mixed with um studies in recreational cannabis where mm -hmm. potentially high thc loot uh, use over long periods of time could you know lead to mental health conditions um so they've got fears that you know the use of thc thc in children would would be damaging long term um our argument back is well what data have you got on four antiepileptics and a child still having 120 seizures a day? You know, that's the, you know, the, it's, it's weighing up the pros and cons. Mm -hmm. and as a parent, when you have that, these conversations, there's a risk with any medicine, especially antiepileptics. And yeah. they're all designed, they all work in different ways, but essentially they're all designed to kind of numb down the brain and, you know, what impact do all these medicines have on the brain? Um, it's an argument that we gave and they accepted that. They kind of said, oh, yeah, we, you know, we don't really know long term. Um, so, yeah, it's that's why we chose cannabis. And given that he's had this seizure reduction and a massively improved quality of life, um, it's, yeah, it's it's an argument which I feel is really valid, um, but one that hasn't won yet. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the BPNA is still very much against the prescribing of um, cannabis-based medicines. In fact, there is a clinician prescribing privately. So in the UK at the moment, there are only two. I'm actually going on a tangent here. No way. Don't carry me. on. Do you think? But, um, there's uh, two only two clinicians prescribing privately in the UK, and both now currently have their books closed. Um, so actually, there is no access for any new patients, even privately. So there's no access on the NHS. There's no access um, for any new patients privately. Uh, but the BPNA took one of them clinicians to the GMC, which is a general medical medical council. Um, and they oversee the conduct of all doctors. And they were basically saying, you know, this guy, he's not a pediatric um, neurologist. So their argument was it's epilepsy. It should be a neurologist prescribing medicines because that's their expertise. He's a rheumatologist, um, but he has been trained in cannabis. Long story short, the GMC threw it out and said, well, he's got nothing to answer for. The children that he's prescribing for are doing very well. There's no complaints from the families. Um, they actually brought in a, an individual consultant as well to kind of look at it all from a neutral perspective. Mm -hmm. And he deemed that the BPA guidance to prescribing cannabis was detrimental to the children. That actually... Awesome. It's, it's going to stop children from accessing a, a potentially life-saving medicine. But did that change their minds? <laughs> no, that hasn't changed anything. Mm, um, wow. The guidance still remains. In fact, the guidance has got ever so slightly tighter. Uh, uh, follow the money, man. Who's who's supporting this? these people? 
Mm. It's, well, the BPNA is uh, was a charity, but if you look at their records, they get quite a bit of funding from pharmaceuticals. Really? Uh, I, yeah. Didn't that just come I out of nowhere? That. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that at all. Oh, my God. I am shocked. Um, and one in particular as well is uh, GW Pharma, which... Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> I would never have expected that of them. Yep. Um, so oh, God damn, man. Shit lost. is absolutely criminal. And yeah, nobody will ever get prosecuted for this. It's fucking oh, yeah. Our uh, last conference, GW are, are a big funder of it. So, um, but oh. also the clinicians. And again, we can all talk about conspiracy theories, but the clinicians, the senior clinicians of the BPNA, um, run trials. That's you know they do, you know they're they're the their departments within Great Ormond Street and um, other hospitals. They do get funding from pharmaceuticals. Um, to run trials, etc. So there is a bias to, you know, wanting to go down the pharmaceutical route because they'll financially benefit, not them personally, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And things like that. Um, so yeah, there is a, a bias there to, um, to not wanting these, or at least all part cannabis medicines to go through the same. Uh, it just makes me so angry, man. It's like the the blatant injustice, the, the blatant fuckery that goes on here. And the people who lose out are people like you and your son and Hannah and and Alfie and your know, Rachel and all these people who suffer because of the it's like it, they don't even bother trying to cover it up. It's blatantly yeah. there. Hannah, Alfie has his NHS prescription, so that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there was a problem with Brexit. Um, so yeah. when we left the EU, uh, UK prescriptions were no long, longer valid in Europe. So the way that the Dutch oils work is that um, Betracan grow the flower. That's then given to Transvaal Pharmacy, who then extracts and produce the oil. Um, because it's a pharmacy, you need a prescription to get the oil. Now, they accepted UK prescriptions. So right at the beginning, when we were prescribed Betracan, our first prescription here in the UK at Portland Hospital in London was £500 for 10 mil. Um, yep, £500 for yeah. 10 mil. Wow. That's uh, pricey, so, that is. Yep, so then um, obviously that's going to be unsustainable. I was using um, inheritance to cover that cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, so then the next prescription was several thousand. Um, and we knew immediately, right, this isn't going to be sustainable long term. For, for how long a month? Uh, three months usually it is, right? Uh, that was, uh, I think back then it was a, a month supply. Uh, a thousand, over a thousand pounds, well over a thousand. Um, and remembering he's a baby as well, so he wasn't on high dose at all. So we then took the option to um, using our UK prescription we flew over to Holland and uh, went to the same pharmacy where it's, it's ex- exported from and picked up his prescription over the counter. And we saved ourselves £9,000 by buying three. Wow. Uh, so when you say you just went and picked it up over the counter, you can just walk into the pharmacy, say it's like Boots, you're from the UK, you know what I'm talking about, and you can just like pick up yeah, the tablets then, from so behind the counter. In, yeah, this was back in 2019. Um, you would email your you know um prescription across um right. previously they would then email you back and say yep we, your stock's here ready um or your prescription's here ready so it's no different to going to a pharmacy in you know around the corner or you know your local town or village 
um, except this pharmacy just happens to be in Holland. Um, right. mm-hmm. then, fortunately, I, I live in Norwich and it's only half an hour flight. So jumped on a plane, um, yeah, got to Holland, traveled to the Transvaal pharmacy, picked up the prescription, but we don't have a commercial license. Um, because it, technically it's a schedule one drug to import. So we're breaking the law by bringing it back into the UK. Fuck um, them. You know, yeah, sorry. We don't, sorry. Have the, um, <laughs> we don't have the licenses and et cetera to do that. Um, but yeah, we, we smuggled it in, no problem. Um, and... Well, potentially you could have been caught and charged with international drug smuggling. Uh, well, it's a legal drug. It's, it's you know, it's mm. illegal in that sense. Um, mm. We have been prescribed it. It's just we're bringing it in without the correct licenses. So um, there have been families that done exactly the same and, you know, they took MPs with them and, you know, it was confiscated. Oh. But of course the child was, you know, there's no prosecution, no criminal charges or anything like that. Um, and the oil was always given back to the child because it's a prescribed medicine. Um, the issue was the fact that it's so expensive in the UK. We had no mm-hmm. choice to hold to get it. Um, but then, yeah, uh, then a year later, we started seeing breakthrough seizures. Uh, you know, th- they started to increase. Yeah. We're a little bit, okay, is he building tolerance? Um, and at that point, a new oil was available in the UK from Israel. Um, and it was twice the, uh, what's the word, concentration. So the dose would be less. And it was a lot, lot cheaper per right. bottle. So we'd be saving a significant amount of money. Um, and we knew that, you know, Bedrolite long term was just not an option that we'd have to stop. Um, so we, you know, we thought, right, let's let's take the risk and see if you know another form of cannabis oil will help him. So yeah, we moved across um, and we prescribed this new oil, and he actually improved a little bit, um, and we were saving money, so we knew we could sustain it long term. Um, and but <laughs> always a but. Um, so since February this year, uh, Charlie's been significantly like barely any seizures. Um, awesome. It's really, it's, and that's not just cannabis. There was a slight tweak in his anti-epileptics, but all of them working together, we've now found, uh, you know, a combination of his cannabis and his anti-epileptics that are working together that really worked for him. Um, and yeah, his, his development has just gone through the roof. Again, awesome. he's still got significant problems but generally you know he's, he, he had really good attendance at school last year and sweet so he's going to school and stuff as well That's you know, awesome. it's, a, it's a specialist school it's not a normal um school but uh-huh. you know everything he's doing you know they're really happy with his progress and they've they everyone has said everyone that you know cares for charlie his physio his speech and language his, his teachers his carers they've all seen a massive change for for the better since the seizures have really really reduced um you know he'll go weeks without any seizures at all wow um so that you know he's he's yeah he's charlie he's a cheeky little chap he's really happy um he loves going to school he loves seeing his friends um gets really excited when he sees the school bus um so he's living his best life Mm -hmm. um sadly mhra um so July this year, I was told that uh, MHRA had seized um, that oil from coming into the UK anymore. Um, oh, no. And I won't go into the whole depth of it, but it was, yeah, I had to have an emergency meeting with them. Um, so at the moment, 
Charlie's oil is only be available until December this year. Um, and that's it. It'll, at the moment, there is no... What is the reasoning? Does it give you any reasoning why it won't be allowed to be imported anymore? Because it's uh, Israeli GMP. So um, Israel's generally all UK medicines have to be EU GMP. Um, and EU GMP is available in Israel. But the producer who grows you know, the cultivar and extract it under CO2 extract, etc. They do it um, under Israeli um, medical cannabis GMP because Israel is so far ahead. Yeah. Developed mm. GMP process specific to cannabis medicines and away from your traditional pharmaceutical medicines. Here in the UK, they don't deem that as acceptable and as standard. Um, so at the moment, they're saying, you yeah, know, we, we don't accept that. That's not going to continue any any longer. Um, it's a little bit more, there's more to that story. But um, yeah, so as of December, that's not going to happen. So at the moment, I'm fighting tooth and nail um again working with hannah uh to try and secure that oil not, not for charlie but well for charlie obviously but for everyone mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. as well um so that's what we're doing at the moment but yeah i digress from where like where medcan kind of comes into all of this so um yeah so basically back in after our legal challenge and myself and hannah have been working together um quite a bit on that and we both felt that we had individually, we had lots of parents because obviously there's quite a bit of media from that and um, everything Hannah had been doing in, as herself. She had quite a bit of you know, media and families contacting her, asking all these different questions. And we both found ourselves either answering the same questions to the same family, but independently or, um, you know, we were just constantly on our phones, just being bombarded by all these different families. It's crazy. There must be so, so many people out there needing help. Yeah, it, there is. Um, so we felt that there were, needed to be a platform. So the End Our Pain campaign was a campaign. It wasn't really, it's not there to support families. It's there to lobby government, it's a lobby group. Um, and that was getting quieter at the time anyway, because lack of funding um, behind it. So we set up MedCan Support to be that hub for education, um, a hub for support, somewhere safe that families can talk about their one ask questions but two you know um talk about cannabis you know lots of people are still a little bit oh i don't want to go public that i'm wanting Mm -hmm. to get cannabis or anything like that so we just want a secure safe place so we have a facebook group we now support nearly 600 families um and you know we'll post various different bits of information and education around it. We now have a website as well. The website's been going for a couple of years now. Cool. Um, but during COVID, the first year of COVID when we had the lockdown, um, yeah, I'm just sitting there kind of twiddling my fingers. And then, you know, all of a sudden we started having Zoom kind of catch-ups because we obviously we couldn't socialise physically. And then I thought, well, why aren't we speaking to clinicians? You know, there's various clinicians around the world that are prescribing cannabis a hell of a lot more um informed a hell of a lot more you know experienced mm-hmm. um let's reach out to them so i reached out to two prominent clinicians uh, dr bonnie goldstein in california mm-hmm. and dr evan lewis in canada mm-hmm. both agreed they're both you know we said look we've got a support group here in the uk it's the first one this is our background this is where we've come from and um, we'd love for you to come and talk to these families um so we set up our first couple of webinars um and they were really successful we had loads of families watching them and learning and understanding and then we'd have presentations from the doctors as well 
Um, so then that's when it really started taking off. Um, and yeah, word was getting about. So we've kind of continued that. Um, we then teamed up with Drug Science here in the UK to do a study. Um, and from off the back of that, so parents were interviewed by Drug Science uh, through MedCan support. And the data from that showed that there's a 92% chance of cannabis being effective, um, which mm. in epilepsy is significant yeah. uh, or refractory epilepsy. It's like it's the most effective medicine. <laughs> well, once the primary and secondary, you know, I think it's after two or three anti-epileptics have failed, mm. the chance of the another one working drops to 5%. Yeah, 4 To have a, a 92% chance of cannabis being effective, um is significant um and then it also showed across the cohort um there was a i can't remember there's 86 percent reduction in seizures i think it was massive um so we're continuing that we've now teamed up with another company organization called autoflora um, who have a mobile phone app and we're soon to be launching the next phase of that study so we want to get as many people using Epidiolex prescribed on the NHS. We want people using over-the-counter CBD, illicit cannabis, um, and prescribed cannabis. And to actually get all this data and really show, you know, across a large cohort. So hopefully it'll be the largest study of its kind. Um, yeah. And yeah, get as much information and get that out there um, and get nice to look at and what well, to look at real world evidence and actually to just demonstrate that real I think they probably already are though mate they've got other reasons why they don't want to let them but let's not get into the conspiracy theories thing let's not do well that. ever yeah. since covid um real world data was used during covid um so there is now um nice uh, published guidelines to real world data um because they sh the problem you know covid was a really good example of all of a sudden we needed these new vaccines um and they all had to go through randomized controlled trials, which cost an absolute bomb. You're then also limited to particular cohorts, so you know certain age groups, and mm -hmm. um, you're not you're really limited to what data you can get from a randomized controlled trial um, through a randomized controlled trial. You've then also got the amount of money that needs to, you know, to run a trial as well, mm -hmm. um, and the numbers. You know, you only have a few hundred people within a randomized controlled trial. Whereas real world data, you can get inf you know information back from thousands of people, uh, different age groups, different ethnicities, different, and you know we're all individual. We might all have different um, underlying illnesses and things like that. Um, so the amount of data that you can actually get from real world evidence is huge, um, and again that can help push uh, randomized controlled trials and focus in different areas, but. The data is so strong um, that, yeah, I think, you know, NICE have really woken up to that. And we're hoping that, that we can now use real world data in children where you're not going to get randomized controlled trials in cannabis because one, the cohorts are so small, um, the amount of money that's needed, uh, the time, the length. Um, so that's that's kind of the aim behind it is to actually, you know, really get them to look at this data and really start pushing for prescribing on the NHS. Mm -hmm. uh, we're also looking at kind of the wider impact on families as well. So, um, you know, the PTSD and just having a child diagnosed with a severe condition, a chronic condition, um, 
the impact that has on the parents, the carers, the siblings. Um, so we really wanted to just um, highlight that and you mm. know the wider story to. Sorry, I'm getting email popping through. That's okay. um, yeah, so it's just the wider impact to uh, the family. Um, so we're doing that as well, um, and we're also teamed up with C4T based in Canada, uh, who they look at random or they look at trials in cannabis um, in the pediatric population. Um, so we're going to start looking at cannabis in cancer, so pediatric, pediatric cancer. So I had a, a family friend who their son was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, oh, called uh, DIP-G. Um, so it's a tumour at the base of the spine where your nerves kind of all join up um, and feed into the brain. Basically, as the tumour grows, that pressures against the nerves and your nerves really hate any pressure on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually that, it causes death. Um, so, yeah, it's... They basically turned to me, um, so he's having radiotherapy, chemotherapy doesn't work. Um, and then, yeah, at the time I was on the news and bits and pieces talking about cannabis for Charlie. So they reached out to me and I think they kind of heard that cannabis could be potentially helpful for cancer um, and for tumours. But obviously the only place I could turn to was the illicit market. Um, now initially he was seemed to be doing okay um but then he started having adverse effects now i didn't know anything about the products that was you know, that they were using um so there's lots of information that was missing um mm-hmm. but sadly here in the uk you know he did pass away sadly um a few months later but initially you know mris were showing good results and the tumors were shrinking it's just shocking isn't it? um so i think you know there needs to be we need to start talking about the wider uses of cannabis, especially mm. around cancer, uh, or the potential uses. Um, so that's something we're doing with C4C. So they've got a study open at the moment, and we've put a call out to everyone who's, you know, any families out there in the UK using cannabis. There is a study where they just want to understand kind of why you start looking at cannabis, has you know, the impact on your child, the benefits, the disadvantages um just everything really and trying to get as much information and understand how it's being used um and then start opening up like that conversation with clinicians here in the uk um imagine I've, I've said this before imagine how angry everybody's going to be if the research gets done and they find out that cannabis is just this major not cure but you know it, it can fix cancer it's like yeah yeah people are going to be so pissed man well, there are studies in other areas of the world, especially in DIPG as well. Um, so, but here in the UK, it's very much, I think at the moment, it's just to start opening up that conversation. And mm. MedCan is to support all families. It's not always, we've, you know, our background is epilepsy. You know, you've got pediatric pain, pediatric cancers. Um, there's other pediatric conditions where potentially cannabis could be of use. So it's about, you know, being that central hub for, and we have now had families join us that have children with um, cancer. So it's just enabling them to have a place where they can start opening up and discussing it. Um, and, you know, we can then start gathering data and start talking with, to clinicians and just opening up that dialogue and actually being a, a, a support form for for these families at the moment who don't have a voice. Mm. Um, you know, usually the normal model is that it'll come from doctors from from the pharmaceutical world 
but they're not looking at cannabis like that. They're, you know, they're only looking at isolates um, and they're definitely not looking at, well, I think there is a couple of studies in the UK at um, tumors in adults, but there's nothing in pediatrics at the moment. Um, so yeah, we just, we just want to be a hub to support all the families. Um, and we're also raising funds for them um, to enable them to apply for 500 pound grants. Cool. So with them, currently covering um private prescriptions which is going to cost you know it can cost up to two thousand pound a month they have to go without so you know i've already mentioned parents suffering with ptsd and anxiety mm -hmm. there is no support for them on the nhs um you're kind of just left to it on your own so we yeah. want to help them to be able to cover the costs of private care for you know their mental health but also for um uh kind of respite um mm -hmm. for holidays for specialist equipment that their child may need all these things that they go without um even potentially like washing machines and things like that that you know might break down in your household and you're like well we can't afford it because we've got a two thousand pound bill for our child's prescription um, that's priority so mm -hmm. it's um yeah we just want to support them in, in other ways um so that's essentially kind of what we're doing um and just yeah, working with government um, and just keeping the narrative and talking, also talking within the private sector and kind of telling industry what our children need, what what works best for them, um, and yeah, just being being a voice for them within the sector. Yeah, we've got one of our listeners, Caroline Gisborne. I think you know who she is. Yes, yeah, we know Caroline. Yeah. Yeah, she asked a question here in chat, which you might be able to help with. She says, Evening Matt, can you point me in the right direction for trying to get Mitchell's oils on NHS? I know I've not got a chance of winning, but I'd like the chance to fight them. Uh good question. Um, it's really, really difficult at the moment. Mm. Um, so there is uh ResCAS. And that's, um, I know Caroline's going through that um, with Mitch at the moment, um, but we have been through that process with Charlie um, and, you know, all the information was sent across uh, regarding, you know, the EEG that he had and the benefits that he was seeing. And that, yeah, basically they, they turned around and it's basically it's, it's the, the ResCAS is, uh, let me go back a bit. I'll go right back to the beginning of this. Sure, sure. How ResCAS formed. So back in February 2019, um, Families of Endow Pain, which we were a part of at the time, we went to Parliament and, you know, we're campaigning and fighting and talking to MPs about the lack of access on the NHS. Now, Matt Hancock, who was the Health Secretary at the time, he came and met us, uh, spoke with uh, quite a few of us families, and he asked for a review into the blockages, the barriers that were preventing these medicines from being prescribed. Um, through that, us families were interviewed, our clinicians prescribing within the NHS were interviewed, um, and other sources were interviewed as well. And then I think it was about six or seven months later, they released their guidance um, and their recommendations. Now, one of the recommendations from that was uh, a new like department was set up, a specialist department, where our children could be referred to to, you know, potentially have you know these unlicensed cannabis medicines prescribed. Um, sadly, there's only one family that have had that happen to them. Um, everyone else since um, have been refused. So when we went down that route, um, 
we were well they recommended so it's made up of um so it'll be your own urologists a part of that panel and the rest of the panel will be made up of um pediatric neurologists who are also all part of the bpna so you can see where i'm going with this mm -hmm. um so it was yeah they basically turned around so for in chinese instance and recommended four anti-epileptics two of which had already failed um so we refused to give him drugs that he's already failed um mm -hmm. side effects that he had had but we then did agree to try the other two um but they had no benefit at all didn't do anything um well, they so, don't have a four or five percent chance of working after the first two have failed don't they yeah so you know we didn't want to screw up the routine that he, he had so this was a couple of years ago we done that um so or, yeah about a year and a half two years ago so yeah it's um so going back to caroline's question it's really really difficult i think the only way it's just to have that, that conversation with you with the neurologists. Um, now I do know another family who they were living in Holland uh, because they couldn't access uh, Bedrolite here in the UK. Now their son's form of epilepsy, uh, his genetics is a one-off. He's the only boy in the world um, with that genetic or that underlying genetic mutation. Wow. Now there have been studies in this genetic mutation in the US. And they found that, um, oh, sorry, he's not the only boy in the world. I think he's the only boy in the UK with it. I think there's very few in the, in the world, though. Mm -hmm. Extremely rare, though. Um, but the studies have shown that um, typical anti-epileptics with this condition cause seizures. So your, your normal anti-epileptic, which were being prescribed, wow. were causing his seizures. Um, so he ended up, uh, yes, yeah, so they moved to Holland. They were prescribed Spedrolite. Um, and then he had to wean off uh, these anti-epileptics. Lots of them were benzodiazepines, so highly addictive. And then you have withdrawal seizures. Um, so again, this is the downside of benzodiazepines being prescribed. So that took, I think, the best part of two years to wean off these, these benzos. Um, and then as you get withdrawal seizures from some of them you have to introduce another one to help counteract that so it's just this minefield and very long and delayed weaning um but he has now been weaned and he's on one anti-epileptic and the rest of it is cannabis uh and he's been seizure free now for two years i think it is or approaching two years um so they've he now wants to go to university um or he is at university here in the uk um, and studying arts uh and working with his Dutch neurologist team, they then spoke to his UK NHS team and they agreed to prescribe it. Um, so again, we're from our NICE guidance, you know, in an individual circumstance, weighing up benefit versus risk, given that his underlying genetic condition, given that the anti-epileptics anti cause him seizures, all this information is saying, yes, he should be prescribed cannabis. Um, but... Long story short, and obviously I can't go to, into too much detail yes, cool. uh, behind the scenes, but the funding was refused. Oh, um, my God. So albeit the clinician had prescribed the cannabis on the NHS, the funding behind it has been refused. Uh, that argument is still ongoing. Hopefully, you know, to, uh, we can get that changed. Um, but, yeah, it's so for anyone else, I think it's, it's just not going to happen. I think that's the, the fact that is... That 
NHS aren't going to fund. Um, Shocking, man. Medicines at this time. Um, but, you know, if you was a recovering heroin addict or something, and not judging anybody who was addicted to heroin or anything like that, but that medication is covered by the NHS, but they won't well, cover a child's medication. I dare say if GW Pharmaceutical would produce the cannabis, it would probably be covered under the, under the uh, NHS. Mm-hmm. Well, GW's is licensed. So, again, speaking to my NHS clinicians, is that it's not that they don't think the cannabis is helping, it's the fact that it's a non-licensed, untested medicine. Um, that's And, again, it goes back to, see, I think clinicians do get quite a bit of stick, and I think we need to look at it from their perspective as well. Um, in that they're lo- so within the NHS, the insurance that covers them, um, they are liable. Um, but if something goes wrong, let's just say you know, a cannabis was prescribed and the THC ratio was wrong, the child had a seizure and they died from that seizure, which you know does happen, that <sighs> is then liable. Um, mm-hmm. and then within the NHS the current guidance so if you if you're a clinician you prescribe cannabis and you've gone against all the guidance you've got the bpna guidance which is telling you basically you don't prescribe you've got the nice guidance which for population-wide prescribing is saying no um you've got all this other guidance which is again is saying no be careful if you ended up in court as a clinician you're kind of in a your backs against the wall because you've well, got surely they could get one of those forms which they get you to sign before you know certain medical procedures that says if anything goes wrong it's not my doctor's fault yeah the way uh yeah we have spoken about that with legal teams but yeah that wouldn't really stand mm-hmm. um so yeah it's i wonder it's why about, that is <laughs> it's just yeah, it's about clinicians having the confidence to prescribe um i think you know the lack of education again if you think mm. about you know, the stigma associated with cannabis, all the clinicians currently prescribing within the NHS, they're all going to be, you know, young-ish. Um, but they would have all grown up with cannabis being this recreational drug with no medicinal value. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not trained on the Even I thought the same thing for a while. For a long time, I thought that it, it, these people trying to get cannabis legalised for medical use just want to use weed. It's not really a medicine, is it? But, you know, yeah. the more you look into it, the more you realize it's it's probably more medicinal than we realize. And definitely there's a lot more people using medicinally than recreationally, whether they know it or not. Yeah, there's 1.4 million in the UK using it for medical purposes. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it is. I think any, to, you know, any cannabis is medicinal. It has a, you know, even... You know, even if you're using it for recreational purposes, THC does have a, you know, if, if you look at cultivars that generally use to get, you know, if you want to get stoned, etc., mm-hmm. they're generally high in THC, but there will be other cannabinoids in there. The primary difference between prescribed cannabis, um, well, we're trying to move away from the term medical mm-hmm. because technically all cannabis is medical. It all has a medicinal mm-hmm. value. Um, but the pr- prominent difference between your recreational and your prescription is the way that it's grown and the you know the processes um and the environment it's grown in it's a lot more controlled generally in a you know prescribed uh scenario mm-hmm. um but yeah it's i'm losing my mind of thought it train of thought here but it's yeah going back to clinicians it's it's that pro- it's that prohibition that's been there for many many years and it's now trying to use education and untangle that 
and looking at it from a scientific and health perspective and understanding the endocannabinoid system and how that works and how it cannabis interacts with the receptors. Um, it's a very, very complex subject because we've got, you know, you've got all the terpenes, you've got all these phytocannabinoids. Yeah. It's not fully understood about the entourage effect. Mm -hmm technically a theory um cannabis is not just the, the same thing all around is it, it differs in yeah. so many ways from yeah and we all strain. individually you know mm. respond differently to it so it's mm -hmm. a very very complex subject and at the moment these clinicians are yeah there's just the education is not there so the confidence isn't there that you know you'd have to be a very very brave clinician to go against everything um not saying they shouldn't i think they do they should be looking at individual circumstances like Charlie, like Mitch, um, like all the other children. But they, yeah, they're afraid, I think. Um, well, there's definitely an element of being afraid, of being the first. I think that's, that's the thing. You have to have the balls to be the, you know, the first and, uh, you know, I'm going to do this for the patient and go against the grain. And there is pressure from above. There are conditions where, you know, they start stepping outside of their the guidelines and you know yeah i'm going to do what's what i think is right for this child but then you start getting pressure from your peers and you put back into line um and these people have spent a huge amount of money on their careers um mm -hmm. and yeah so they've got to think about their livelihood and their own families and so it is a really complex subject um and yeah i think it's going to take time for that to happen but i think if we can get license whole plant cannabis extracts um on the nhs um i think that's going to start changing things yeah um, that's what i hope anyway and well, people can't keep keep affording this ridiculous amount of money i mean we hear people who are spending 1200 pound a month 12 to 1500 pound a month on medicine for their kids yeah well it's, again for the it's going to be only for a narrow number of people that can afford that and this is why we need uh nhs you know nhs is what we're used to that's the norm mm -hmm. uh, private sector isn't generally how people go about especially in the uk to go about getting their medicines in fact the private sector is generally for your rich person not for your ordinary mm -hmm. folk um so yeah it's i think the uk cannabis sector is all private at the moment everything's imported yeah, yeah. um we don't have a domestic supply as such other than gw pharma but that's only epidiolex and sativex um so i'm hoping that over the next coming years uh, there are quite a few producers now with research licenses um i've been to two farms um recently so i'm hoping that in the coming years that's going you know that's going to change to commercial licenses and we're going to start seeing more trial data um, and then hopefully moving forward to a licensed product and then NHS access. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, but yeah, there's going to be as many hurdles yet. Yeah, um, it's a long, grueling battle. And I think this, this is all due to the fact that, and we're having conversations at the moment around this um, within the Cannabis Industry Council and uh, the Central Medical Cannabis as well, the CMC, is the law was forced upon government um so you had alfie and you had um charlotte codwell's son billy mm -hmm. and the government were pushed into a corner and they had to do something for sure uh, and you know they changed the law but everything behind it wasn't there the infrastructure mm. uh, and it was quickly you know all the guidance changed and it was a no to 
prescribing, etc. Um, so all of a sudden, this private sector has formed. Um, but I think there can be a hell of a lot more improvements and, um, yeah, the way that the private sector runs. I think there's there are some big issues, um, and I think that needs to be addressed. And what it really does need to be addressed, full stop. Um, but, yeah, I think we need the government to be actually working with the sector, working with within the sector. Um, and then hopefully an office of cannabis or something like that. Mm. To really start moving things forward um and then again my own personal view is that we have medical or prescription cannabis sorted before legalization or um whatever form that comes in whatever model works um but it's the most important thing you know making getting people safe sane access to their medicine that's the most important thing that's the first thing we should be doing before we move on to the recreation yeah well, again it's, it's looking at other countries so if you look at california yeah. and canada um so there is a friend here in the uk who's come from california and she's a patient um and she had cancer and um she's been using cannabis since then um and the california model has helped raise the profile of prescription cannabis mm-hmm. uh, has helped in some respect but if you look at canada where you know you had these producers that were initially you know producing for for medical recreational then came along and it was legalized um and it's more profitable you don't have to worry about the expense of um trials licensing everything that comes with adding that medical onto it you know prescription cannabis the added expense and um yeah say all the trials etc it's just you're going to make more profit going to the recreational you hit a bigger market the regulation isn't as tight and as strict um so it's cheaper to produce Mm. um and that's had a detrimental effect on the actual patients so c4t as i mentioned earlier they want to run some trials and they can't actually get the product they've had to go to australia to get product so canada's got you know how much cannabis does canada canada grow and they can't produce anything to run to meet the standard to push through a, a, a trial that's trial. crazy so there isn't enough cannabis to go around the medical market because the recreational market is moving well, it's not that it. it's not enough it just doesn't reach the standard um, okay right so there needs to be um it's kind of standardized so the mm. variance is between batches it can't be right. wide and all things like that. So there's, there's certain standards and yeah, at the moment it just doesn't reach that. Yeah. So and nobody's going through all the the hoops they need to jump through to make the high enough standard to get the medical because it's easier to make it in recreational. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's cheaper and it's, it's more profitable within the recreational than it is. Damn. Um, so families like mine um, mm. and like Caroline's and, and many others over in Canada, they've got dispensaries. They've got three or four dispensaries down the road accessing cannabis is easy um you know you've got various different cultivars and oils etc but the you need that uh stable supply or that 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 particular oil mm-hmm. batch to batch needs to be within a t- certain kind of um what's the word the variance between because obviously it's a plant you do get variances batch to batch mm-hmm. um this is where you need a tightly controlled environment um Ooh. because very it doesn't take that much change between batch to batch and then you'll see changes in seizures um 
which we have seen in Charlie, um, to be fair, between batches. So uh, it is, you need that stability there. Mm. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to these uh, dispensaries and, and grabbing oils and it's having a detrimental effect on their children. So and they don't know anything about the product. They don't know what concentration is um, of a phytocannabinoids or terpenes. So just all that regulation that genuinely you'd have around a medicine is missing in the um, recreational market. Man. It's crazy, Shimon. Have you ever considered growing your own? I know it wouldn't necessarily work for the medicine, but I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so back in 2019, again, I think this is before um the oil that he's prescribed at the moment came about. Um, yeah, I just got really desperate and um I do have qualifications in horticulture. Cool. Um, so, so you probably did a pretty decent job. So I know how to grow. Um uh, although at that point, obviously, I'd never grown cannabis, but yeah, I got mm. kit and yeah, I got um, seeds and it was a high CBD cultivar. Um, and yeah, I started growing. Um, but I soon learned it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, one, the so I used roasting extraction and I bought right. a brilliant, uh, roasting press, which I could... Um, manipulate the temperatures and the pressure that it all used so i could get um you know acids out of the plant or um decarbed etc mm-hmm. um but you get very little back from the yield so it's only about a 10 percent return on the oil mm-hmm. so I then, mm-hmm. and because charlie requires such a high dose the amount of plants that i needed uh to grow it, I just didn't have the the space. Do you do you have a rough estimate of how many plants you would have had to grow? Uh well I had seven. Um and I only managed to get one bottle out of that. Right. Um so you know, month on month you want obviously you don't want that like I was saying earlier, the, the variances between the two. Mm-hmm. I want to take um clones as well and grow them so the genetics aren't changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but also, I, I work full time, so mm-hmm. I'm going to work, um, and my plants are left. So I had one particular day where it's 30 degrees outside, and it was even warmer inside, and you know, it'd run out of water. And by the time I got home, the plants were all drooping and looked really ill and sick. And I was like, ah, so you know, this is mad panic because it's not. I'm not growing for recreational purposes. Mm. My son's medicine. It's your kid's uh, medicine, man. Yeah. No. Um, it has to be right and you have to be on it and also you know we had external services coming in so i had Mm -hmm. physiotherapy we had speech and language we had all these various different services and i've got a bedroom full of illegal plants Mm -hmm. Uh, if i got caught um my son would have been you know i would have been sentenced and my son would have been taken away from me um so there is you know, I was, I was papping it every time I heard something out in the, in the yeah. oldest sack. I'm looking out the window thinking, is this the police? So is I this the cool. day? Every time you drive back from somewhere, you're looking to see if your front door yeah. is still on. You know, all of these different yeah. things yeah. which you're, we have to suffer. Yeah, You're always looking over your shoulders. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was anxious enough just caring for a disabled child. Crazy. Everything that, that comes with then to be growing cannabis. So mm. that, is, you know, my anxiety was through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... I did, you know, I didn't know what the outcome was. I I produced an oil, but I didn't know what was in it. I had no idea what 
you know, how much do I give my son? I've got mm. absolutely no idea what's in this product and there's no way to have it tested. Um, so I never used it. I never touched it um, on Charlie um, or went there because I just didn't know anything about mm -hmm. it. You know, I knew how it had been grown. I knew what, you know, nutrients I'd used, what the medium was used to grow it. Um, but the yield wasn't particularly high and just the stress and the extra strain on top of everything else that you've got to actually mm -hmm. have the responsibility of producing your son's medication. Yeah, and you shouldn't have to, mate. That's, that's yeah. the idea. No, I, can, I shouldn't, shouldn't have, have to be going to them links. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, yeah, I I didn't do it. In the end, we ended up, um, Silixa came about, um, and I packed it all up. And, um, yeah, I've, I haven't done it ever since. But it was a learning curve. And now, you know, when I hear people go, or just grow your own that's fine no it's mm. not it's there's so much um see, it's not an option and if, even if it was an option you shouldn't fucking have to do it it's, yeah it's as simple it's, as that man it's crazy it's, that people suggest it yeah well one you know i've got qualifications in horticulture and you know i still have plants that weren't looking particularly healthy and great and um yeah there's just a huge amount of pressure and stress you know on you want to say somebody with chronic pain to say, why don't you just grow your own opium poppies in your bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it don't make sense. Yeah. Well, also, you know, if, if me and my wife got hit by the bus, who's mm -hmm. going to happen then if I was growing my own, mm -hmm. you know, he's got no access all of a sudden. So there's lots to consider. Um, but it's it, basically it's, you've also got the risk of um, microbial um, contaminant as well. So, mm -hmm. albeit, you know, it looks a good flower. I don't know, E. coli or salmonella is in that flower. Um, you know, it's a very high humidity in that, in the grow tent, et cetera. So, there's mm. a risk associated to it with a very, very poorly child. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, that's why I'm talking from experience. That's, you know, I would never recommend any family grow their own because yeah. it's, it's just not a viable Mm -hmm. viable option. It's, it's, it's just, and it takes time, takes practice, and as you say, it's your kid's medicine. It needs to be yeah. right, doesn't it? Well, it sounds like it's stressful enough just taking care of Charlie, much less trying to take care of plants and Charlie. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly that. It's um, yeah, it's you know, we have fights for everything else, just for basic care, and you know, tons and tons of paperwork, and um. Yeah, just yeah. everything else to grow on top of that. And just generally having that responsibility. If something goes wrong, if you lost a crop, that's your child's medicine that they go without, and that's your fault. Um, mm -hmm. the, the parent shouldn't ever have to have that responsibility and that yeah. added pressure on top of everything else they've got going on. So when you first came to use cannabis on Charlie, was you reluctant? Was you scared? You know, the first time you dosed him, you know, you got the no. cannabis in and... No, well, the first time we used it was Charlotte's Web um, right. CBD oil. And no, I wasn't really, I was intrigued. I was a little mm. bit, um, yeah, I was intrigued to see what, what would happen. But yeah, it is fine. I didn't, um, I suppose if you think about it, I give him a benzos every day. Um, mm -hmm. Prescribed clobazam, which is a, you know, he's highly addicted to that. Um so I give him a lot worse medicines. Um, yeah, fucking yeah, for sure. Over, over cannabis. Mm. So um, yeah, he was never phased by it. He's he's never had a problem taking it. So and what uh, does his school think of this? You say he goes to school. Does he have to have medicine when he's at school? Or is yes, it just like... yeah, they administer his cannabis at school. Wow. 
um, they're fine with it. Um, they're aware of it. They know that, or they've heard of it. Um, where cannabis, I think there are some other children. I don't think they've prescribed it. They um, have used CBD oils, etc. cetera, um, mm-hmm. spoken about the benefits of their children. Um, Charlie is the only child at his school that's prescribed cannabis. Um, but yeah, they are, I've spoken to a few families um, about Medcan and about, you know, the, the benefits for Charlie and they've all been really supportive and mm-hmm. um, pro cannabis. Um, none of them have sat there saying, oh, you're mad, you're crazy, what are you doing? Do you um, get that from any ex-friends or family? Because they wouldn't be friends for long after saying something like that. Do you get any stigma? Any people no, think you're crazy? I think initially my parents were a bit, um, a bit kind of mm, really you you know because obviously I had to go to them to get the money initially to from my inheritance um, and they were like well really do you want to be spending thousands of pounds on on this but then when I kind of said to them well whatever option have I got I've got to try something we've got to do mm. something to help him it might not work but I'm not gonna not try I have to try something in which they completely supported and agreed with um and i think they genuinely thought well it's it's not going to do anything um hmm. but we knew you know matt's right we do need to support him and, and help um so yeah when they saw the reduction they were really pleased and they've ever since they've been really supportive and wanted to understand and learn more awesome um and funny enough my dad was telling me um a few weeks back that his was with some friends and they asked about charlie and my dad mentioned about cannabis, and they were a bit like, ooh. But then my dad started teaching them about the endocannabinoid system. Awesome. And, and <laughs> things like that, and just t- telling them how, how cannabis works. So, um, yeah, but no, not generally. Everyone's been really, really supportive. There's no, no one, actually quite curious. And, mm. you know, especially when they saw the reduction in seizures and how well Charlie was, they've all been really, really supportive. We've never had any anyone um, say, you know, oh, you're what you're doing is bad or mm. you shouldn't be doing it. Um, so you're still paying for his medicine now as well? Yeah, yeah, we're still paying for it. Um, so, How did you cover the cost of that? Uh, we've got a friend that helps us um, and the rest of it is out of our own pocket. So mm. we've been very fortunate. Um, so my wife, um, she's got a family friend um, who she's grown up with and, uh, they're quite a wealthy family. Um, so they helped us initially um, when we were really struggling. Mm. Um, and then we've had another friend recently who's um, helped cover the cost as well. So, That's good. Uh, so yeah, we've been very fortunate in that respect. We haven't had to fundraise as much as many other families do um, because mm-hmm. of the support they've given us. Um, and then we back it all up with our own, out of our own pocket um, and savings, etc. So, but we won't be able to continue it forever and we mm. can't rely on our friends forever. Um, and, you know, there is going to come a time when that stops. So we, you know, again, we have to keep fighting for NHS access. Yeah. So what is the fight that's going on now? What are you doing now? What's, what's the plan? Uh, well, we're working with, um, so I think generally in the UK, the, you know, it's not known that prescription cannabis is a thing. Um, so mm. we are working with Drug Science and the Cannabis Industry Council, um, and we've teamed up and we're running a patient conference in November. So November the first is the fourth year of the um, the legal or legalization of prescription cannabis, and wow. 
we're holding a patient conference um, on the 4th of November in London. Uh, we've had 600, um, there's a link on Eventbrite. If you Google Eventbrite uh, medical or patient conference, you'll see it in the link. Um, we've had 600 patients sign up to the event. Nice. Uh, and there's over 100 signed up for the virtual online event as well, which is running live. Um, so we're doing that. Um, also, we're launching the study very shortly. Uh, we're going to start talking about cancer and cannabis in pediatrics. Um, but other than that, we're trying to get as much funding for MedCan as well, because it's an organization. It needs for us to do. There is so many more projects that we want to start you know, running and but it requires someone full time to be working for MedCan. So that's something mm. we're working on behind the scenes is actually to try and gather some funding and um yeah, to kind of employ someone or for me to be employed. Um and yeah, really start working on these other projects and pushing forward. And obviously the conversation around NHS access um is continuing. Um and working to get licensed products as well within the well within the nhs yeah so you're doing shit loads man we're doing a lot as i say it's myself um hannah deacon and dr kelly seaman um, cool they've runs. all been on the show and mike barnes has too and a lot of the uh the medical yeah, so we're all, it's a tight-knit community we're all mm-hmm. you know mike is involved in everything <laughs> but um yeah, we all know one another. We're all part of the medical cannabis, or sorry, the um, cannabis, uh, what's it called? Cannabis Industry Council. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, which Mike Barnes is the chair of. Um, it's his kind of baby that he set up. But that's now over 100 organisations covering the hemp, the CBD, and the prescription cannabis market. Um, and we have lots of conversations. We're in there. We're in the subgroups talking about standards, research, Um moving things forward in the hemp and CBD sectors and just, yeah, there's lots of conversations and thought about um, cannabis generally um, across all, all them sectors. Um, but yeah, we are a very close knit community. Um, we all talk to one another. And we're all on the same level, if that makes sense or yeah, what we're, we're trying to achieve. And, you know, MedCan is not going to do it on its own. Um, so it is working with, the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, other patient groups, so um, PLEA, CANGARD, um, and working with other industry bodies as well. But it's also reaching out to the international community and um, many other countries have very similar problems to us, especially in the paediatric community. So we have we all have a lot in common. There's a lot to discuss and barriers to break down. So it's yeah. working together to do that um, and help and supporting one another. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to do and just... Yeah, be there for the families and um it gives me hope, man, to know that there's guys like you and you know everybody else who you're working with putting in all this work to try and get the thing shit to change here in the UK. Because it's so hard to see progress. Like you said, it's been four years on November the first since we legalized cannabis for medicine. Uh, and since yeah, then it's, it's like has anything even happened? No, it hasn't. It's gone yeah. backwards. If anything, if I look at my own son, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a chance um, at the moment, potentially a high chance that come December, we're not going to have a prescription anymore. That's crazy to think. So, of, given that he's been prescribed, or he's yeah, he's been prescribed cannabis now for three years. Um, that's yeah, we've gone backwards massively. Um, and you know, in total, there's still less than 100 children prescribed in the UK in four years. 
So stupidness. It's there are massive barriers, um, but we can't give up. You know, if we mm-hmm. stop, if Medcan stops and closes down, there's no other support out there. Um, so we can't stop. We have to keep going. No matter yeah. how hard it is, no matter the challenges, it's going to be slow um, and it's going to be hard. But yeah, we've done four years worth of it, so we'll continue however long it takes. Um, yeah, and just keep, you know, I'd all I want is Charlie's future to be secure and that mm-hmm. when I'm not about, that he can be prescribed the medicines that he needs. Um, that's what I want. That's, you know, that's for Charlie, but obviously... You know, kind of and you're not even asking for too much, mate. You're only asking for what any, anybody else wants. Just yeah, their, their oh, medicine no, for their kid. I've already said, as soon as NHS access comes along, I'll walk away. <laughs> I'm mm. going to go, go, mm. get on with my life. Um, but until then, um, yeah, I'll be sticking around and doing what I can to help. Cool, man. Is there anything our listeners can do to help? And what, what websites can they go to to get in touch with you and things like that? Uh, so we've got um, our website, www.medcansupport.co.uk. Um, there's a link on there. So if anyone would like to donate and support the families, um, we've got a fundraising going on at the moment. Uh, so there should be a link on there. Generally, just share our posts. We've got Instagram um, and we're on Twitter as well. Um, so we do quite a bit of educational resources, uh, little videos that we put out on Medcan Support's social media uh and yeah just generally support us get our names out there and mm-hmm. we will be doing some advocating in november um so i know hannah's going to be doing a little bit uh we'll be doing some um i think intractable will be doing some as well which is another charity awesome um so we'll all be doing our own little bit um but for the greater cause so yeah if we can just get as many people behind us but yeah ideally we just want we're very close to our first target of being able to help families and um, allow them to apply for £500 grants. So if we can get as many people to donate and, um, yeah, just support, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And if there's anything we can do, you know, High on Hunger on the podcast or Percy's Grow on the forum, if there's anything we can do to help you, like you want us to share any news with the listeners at any time, then just drop me an email. I'm happy to show you out yeah. in the news and things like that. Yeah, well, on our link tree on our uh, Instagram, if you click on the bio, uh, there is a link to a petition, uh, which is Anna Deacon's. Um, so if we can get as many, us UK residents only, those hardly. Um, but if there is anyone from the UK listening, uh, that's now at over 600,000. Wow. Uh, Fucking hell, that's massive. We need to get that to a million. So then for that to be raised in government again. Um, we get them talking about it so we've just had a change of government and new mp and a new health secretary so yeah we'll are you back. optimistic there do you think they'll change anything no no yeah. um well i think half the problem here is is we've got major issues within the nhs anyway there's much larger issues mm-hmm. in you know the funding we haven't got enough doctors uh mm-hmm. waiting times are hours on end so there's huge fundamental issues within the NHS that need sorting. Cannabis is the last thing. Mm. That's not even on the agenda. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but yeah, we'll still be banging on the door and still shouting for our children. And yeah, um, I think we have been forgotten about the cannabis has kind of come out in the media and especially with just everything that's been going on with COVID and all the news around the world and the war in Russia and then the Queen dying and just everything. Yeah. Um, 
yeah so it's been just, a crazy year <laughs> yeah, it's definitely yeah so uh, hopefully next year we can you know get some media and really start talking about our families again and um yeah just getting out there yeah well matt charlie's very lucky to have a father like you that fights for him like this unbelievable Indeed. man mm-hmm. oh, it's not just you know my wife's been amazing and everything that she does like she doesn't really get spoken about but she supports you know she allows me to be able to do all of this so without her medcam wouldn't exist um mm. because yeah she picks up be, behind every great man is an even greater woman i think the saying goes yeah, that's something like that yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah hats off to, to Ali and also to hannah and gary for all their support and um yeah so yeah but hopefully we can continue and you know really you know if we can get some funding if we can raise enough to support the families but also to support medcam um there's a huge amount more that we can or we want to do we just need the mm-hmm. fund to do yeah. it mm-hmm. it's an expensive game to play yeah so if there's any millionaires out there <laughs> <or> <laughs> support a great cause then give us a shout there's plenty come on everybody <laughs> yeah come on <laughs> But it's been a massive pleasure to talk to you, Matt. I understand you must be very busy. You know, being a dad on its own is busy enough, but I'm sure you've got lots of other things to do. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, not, thank you very much for coming to join us, man, and sharing your story. Yeah. I hope we can get you back on You know, in a, a few months' time when the, the law changes because of all the work you've done. Let's be optimistic. It's going to happen, all right? But, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So the law has changed, so it's just a case of, um, yeah, of getting getting that in it mm-hmm. yeah we say i think it's gonna be a few years but um no, yeah. let's hope not man let's hope not yeah cool well thanks for having us guys yeah it's been a pleasure thank you very much matt we appreciate yeah, it's it. been a pleasure it's been an honor actually yeah yeah listen to this story it's unbelievable what you have to go through for your son but i'm so proud of the fact that you're doing it man mm-hmm. oh, thank you yeah well, Keep it up, bro. it's for everyone so um, as, as well as charlie so cool cheers guys you, cheers matt cheers. goodbye later bye. man bye, bye. As we wave, as we do, as he goes out the building. Well, he's leaving the building now, everybody. He's just getting his car <laughs> in the car park there. We can see him. <laughs> yeah, man. That was an interesting interview for sure. Yeah, very much passion for, for what he's doing right there. You know, obviously mm-hmm. you can tell that this man is caring a lot for his son and going through mm-hmm. hell to try and give him medicine. You know, what would you do? Same with anybody exactly, else. Exactly, man. Look, I would devote my life to it if I had to. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. That was Matt Hughes from the UK from MedCan Support. If you want to go and support Matt, if you can support Matt and MedCan Support in any way, you can just head to their website, which is medcansupport.co.uk, and you'll be able to find all the links and information there on how you can support them if that was possible. So it's real difficult here in the UK right now. We say that we have legalized medical cannabis, but it's not really the case. You have to pay a ridiculous amount of money to get medicine to the people who need it. So if you can support financially in any way, then that's great. But just sharing this episode or sharing the link of MedCan support with friends and just raising awareness about their battle, it's also a great way to support the cause as well. So we'd massively appreciate it if you could do that. But as usual, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for downloading the show. We massively appreciate it. Sharing would be epic, but of course, don't get yourself in any trouble. But for now, that's it. We'll catch you on Friday for the Grow Guides. If you need any more information about this interview or you need any help at all with any of the information in this interview, then find us over on percysquareroom.com and start a thread. And we're always more than happy to help you guys out. 
So thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next one, which is Friday for the Grow Guides. Stay high, stay safe, and we'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.